Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Perkins, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, it is your time of year. We are at the draft preview episodes. I am so excited to pick your brain. Are you ready to collapse? Or are you ready to do this? Uh, both. Can I, can I say <laughs> yes? Uh, it is that time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And yes, I'm ready to collapse. Yes, I would really like a nap. Yes, I cannot stop talking about this. Uh, all of the above. So I'm I'm psyched. We've got some beers. Uh, the Bears have some needs, and and we're going to talk about how they might fill them. All right. So let's fortify yourself as we as we get going here on a little draft talk and get some beers going. I have one from Bell's, one of my favorite Michigan breweries. One of the few things that comes out of Michigan, you know, uh, that's actually pretty good quality is their beer. They make really good dark beer, but I'm going with a Juicy Pale Ale, and it is called Juicy Gossip, (laughs) which I thought was very appropriate for us to be talking about the draft. Lying season is here, smokescreen season, whatever you want to call it, smoke and mirrors. Uh, I think Juicy Gossip is perfect. I, I did not go themed. Uh, and I believe I've had this beer on the pod before. This is from Firestone Walker Brewing Company out of California, uh, and they make this. Uh, it's a lager. It says born on California's central coast, and it is called 805. Okay. Um, nice. It says properly chill at the top, and that's not only an instruction for drinking, but also kind of the vibe and the marketing. Central California coast, kick back and have a couple of these. Very much a sessionable beer. Um, but it's got some nice taste to it as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's perfect for a perfect beer for talking. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Mine's sessionable as well. So let's get it going. It says it's 4.7. Yeah. I think this is, yeah. Around there. Four, eight, five, two, something like that. Yeah. Bell's make some really good stouts, but we'll, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's draft season. You know, you can't, you can't keep drinking stouts. So I gotta, gotta open my horizon up a little bit. Well, I hope you like it because it's a little bit out of your roundhouse, but, you know, we got to expand those horizons. As long as it's not an IPA, you know, not too many bitterness units. I think I can handle the payload. So here's what we're going to do for the draft episodes. We're going to do two of them. You guys are listening to part one right now. Part one is going to cover quarterbacks and offensive linemen after the break. And the way we wanted to do this was we wanted to really focus in on the positions that we felt the Bears would potentially use premium picks on. Now, that's not saying that Ryan Pace won't use a premium pick on a position that we're not going to cover. But we feel that the positions that we're going to cover in these two draft episodes are the ones that are most likely to be called on day one and day two of the draft. We want to go through quarterback, offensive lineman in this show, and then the next show, which will be out later this week, we will talk about corners and we will talk about wide receivers. And then we'll talk about maybe some other stuff that if we can rope into doing a live stream or something like that if EJ has time or isn't taking a 84-hour straight nap before the draft starts. So <laughs> I want to talk about quarterbacks first. And from where I sit, you know, following this as not digging into game film but following all the articles and all the other podcasts that you listen to, the quarterbacks seem to kind of have broken out into a top five or a top four plus one. The first one's Trevor Lawrence, and I want to just start there. It seems like he's a a mortal lock to go to the Jags at at number one overall. Uh, He's out of Clemson. He's kind of this, like, perfect prospect kind of guy. He's got – he reminds them of Andrew Luck. I've heard Peyton Manning, uh, but athletic. 
Uh, and then I've even heard people go all the way back to a John Elway, which is very high praise for a guy coming out. So where are you at with Trevor Lawrence? Trevor Lawrence is QB1 uh, on my board, and I think rightfully so. He's QB1 on a lot of boards. Not all boards, but most boards, I would say, have uh, Trevor up top. And the lock to Jacksonville seems like a mortal lock. Um, the new coach down in Jacksonville, Urban Meyer, hasn't hasn't done anything to dissuade that notion. Um, Jags have a lot of picks and a lot of money. They can, you know, first overall, they could do whatever they want. And I would be pretty surprised if they did anything besides Trevor Lawrence because they definitely need a quarterback in the franchise, and Lawrence is a very good player. Now, do you – I mean, you obviously scouted Luck when he came out. That would have been 2012, I believe. And mm-hmm. so is that the level of prospect that we're talking about? Do you get that same sense, or do you feel like he's maybe not quite up to that level? I would say not quite to that level, but that's no lock or that's no knock on Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is incredibly talented. Andrew Luck is sort of the premium of the premium. He had all of the physical, all of the mental processing speed, the arm strength. There just wasn't anything he was lacking. He was incredibly fast, too. People give him a lot of garbage because he came out in the RG3 year, right? It was RG3 and Andrew Luck, and everybody's like, well, RG3 is the fast one. I was like, yeah, barely. Like, Luck ran just about as fast as he did at a a heavier weight. So Luck is the top of the top. Um, You're really talking about that Peyton Manning level. Elway is interesting as a comparison. I've heard that as well. uh, you know, Elway was obviously very well regarded, but I don't think as well rounded as a quarterback. He was a fantastic baseball player. He's a very good quarterback, obviously, but um, I would put, you know, for looking historically, luck above Elway. Trevor's right in there, and you know, he's he's good enough to start day one and win games, especially on a roster that's not terrible. Like the Jacksonville roster is not bereft a lot of times first overall picks going into situations that are complete rebuilds like jacksonville has a pretty decent offense i think they'll stack up the offensive line in this draft to really protect him but they've got a ton at the skill positions that team could be very good and very exciting on the offensive side of the ball like pretty quickly yeah they had a lot of room in free agency to make maneuvers as well Let's move on to, it's actually your third quarterback listed, but I want to deal with him next, and that's Zach Wilson, the the guy out of BYU. Everything around Wilson that I've read is that the Jets really like this guy with the number two pick. Are you seeing the same thing? And tell me about Wilson. Yeah, I would be stunned if the Jets didn't take him, just like I said that about Trevor. Uh, And again, that's just because there's been very little movement. They've had months and months to kind of drum up other speculation or or build a little intrigue if they were looking for things but they're going into this pretty much knowing who's going to be off the board when they pick and that's a rare position for any team they know that one player is going to be off the board and it's going to be trevor for the most part so they can pick anybody else in the draft and they don't seem to have wavered from the wilson stance they've not said it publicly yet but yes i would be pretty stunned actually i think i'd be floored if wilson was not a jet come draft night so zach wilson the thing that i see when i see him obviously he makes a lot of off-platform throws he's got this live arm it's really fun he looks slight like he doesn't look like a very stout quarterback he looks like he's a bit undersized i was surprised to see he he was six foot foot two he looks shorter than that 
but he also just doesn't have a lot of weight on him. Does that worry you as you're scouting him? Does that Will he hold up against taking NFL hits? Yeah, I think it'd be fine that way physically because, again, quarterbacks are protected in a whole different way than they have been in the past. Um, he's still going to take hits, you know, no doubt. It's the NFL. Uh, but he doesn't take many uh, smashers, right? He doesn't stand in and just get plastered very often. He does get dragged down on the run, like you said, off-platform, boot action. He's very athletic. He has really quick feet. Uh, it reminds me very much of a point guard, just uh, not jittery, but can move very quickly in a lot of different directions, um, laterally forward. So he doesn't take too many big square hits, and he's not a classic sort of running quarterback either. He can make yards with his feet, but that's not really his game. He's not going to tuck it and run like a running back and try and truck somebody. So those kind of big blaster hits, um, he doesn't take a ton of them. Like you said, the eye, the arm is incredibly live. Uh, he's got a pretty quick processor. He sees it, can throw it, can throw it from any arm angle just about as far as you want. Uh, he has a kind of deceptive arm. It doesn't really look like the ball comes off his hand that quickly, but, man, it carries. And he just flicks it, and it'll go 50, 55 yards. And then if he really lines up, he can certainly throw it farther than that. So... Tons of arm talent. The question is really how well will he play in structure and can the Jets get him in that first two, two and a half seconds to play well within the pocket? And then just like Patrick Mahomes, you know, Andy Reid said, you got to do what we say for two and a half seconds and then just be you. I don't want to legislate that out of you. And with Zach Wilson, it's the same. You want him to do whatever you want him to do for two or two and a half seconds. If that doesn't work, hey man, just go be you because that's pretty exciting. So those are the what we believe are the first two picks of the draft. I think that's exactly what I'm seeing. I'm going to back up to your number two quarterback and Justin Fields, and because this is where I think it gets interesting in the draft, is the number three pick. The 49ers traded from 12 to 3, so we know that they're, they've they already predetermined moved up. They've probably made that same calculus that we all have. So they moved from 12 to 3. They didn't do that for Kyle Pitts. They didn't do that for, you know, uh, Sewell, uh, the, the the tackle from Oregon, they did that for a quarterback. They came up for a quarterback. And a lot of the buzz was that, wow, they really like Mac Jones, who we'll get to in a minute. But I think they're coming up for Justin Fields. That's my prediction, is that the 49ers came up for Justin Fields at three. So what do we need to know about Justin Fields? Justin Fields is a tremendous pro prospect. Um, a lot of people will quote-unquote scout the helmet and say, well, Ohio State quarterbacks have never really done anything um, at a high level in the pros, so Justin Fields is just the next one in line. That's a terrible take. Um, Justin Fields is highly competitive. Uh, he and Trevor have been going at it since high school days in Georgia. He was originally a different school, transferred to OSU, incredibly athletic, big guy, tons of arm, Ran a 4-4 flat on his pro day at well over 200 pounds. He's well over 6 feet. Um, very mobile and can can make yards with his legs, but actually one of the criticisms of Fields is oftentimes looks like he really doesn't want to break the pocket, really wants to make the play with his arm uh, and not have to run. And, and you might actually have to coax him to run more with that running talent because, again, if a defense is going to give you 15 free yards and you run a 4-4, go get it. Uh, but Fields, there's been a lot of garbage around Fields, and it is typically the kind of garbage that gets thrown at African-American quarterbacks. 
We saw it this year. It's usually vague stuff like doesn't process very well, is tough to coach, uh, things that are hard to verify, but sort of try and stay in a prospect and pull them down. And it, we see it every year, and it's it quite frankly is just tiresome. I'm I'm tired of it. Uh, Justin Fields is a tremendous quarterback. I believe you're right. I believe San Francisco will go for the package of Justin Fields because he will offer Kyle Shanahan uh, things that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't to let that offense ascend to the level that hopefully pulls them back to the playoffs and back to the Super Bowl. It's very much what their neighbors to the south uh, in the L.A. Rams did this offseason. Hey, we've got a quarterback that's gotten us close a couple times. We're going to go make a move, in that case for Matt Stafford, to get us a quarterback that's really going to put us over the hump. We're, we're feeling a bit limited by our quarterback, and I think San Francisco is exactly the same way. Fields would let them break that mold. Justin Fields can do things that Jimmy Garoppolo can't. And there's a connection there, too. Kyle Shanahan had a quarterback camp, so he's worked with Justin Fields before. There was all of this talk, though, that, oh, they, they actually they did this for Mac Jones. So let, let's move to Mac Jones because he's number four on your list. Guy out of Alabama, won all the games, obviously had all that great talent, and it's one of those things like, well, is it just because he has all day to throw and he's got all of these unbelievable weapons to throw to? Or... Is it because he's actually a pretty good quarterback? Yeah, so if the smear against Fields was the sort of character and processing stuff, the two smears against Mac Jones have been, well, he's slow, and, well, geez, he's at Alabama. How could you possibly fail, right? You're, right. you're surrounded by five stars, and when one of those guys goes down, another five-star comes in and takes his place, which is true. Alabama recruits better than anybody in the country. Uh, and they have stacks upon stacks of top-flight athletes at every position. The bottom line about that is you still have to see them, and you still have to throw them the ball. And just because they got really, really open doesn't mean you put the ball right in the numbers, right? We've seen plenty of quarterbacks, in fact, other quarterbacks in this draft, who have very talented offenses around them and don't do those things. Don't throw the ball on time. Don't throw their receivers out of hits or into yards after the catch, right? So, yes, his receivers are awesome. His offensive line is tremendous. His processor is very good, and he is athletic enough to play quarterback, yes, even in the NFL. Is he great at boot action? No. Does he have very good in-the-pocket movement skills? He does, and he is a guy that will keep the train on time and do it really well. He's incredibly accurate. He throws, he makes the right read and he throws the ball in a place that is the best for the receiver. He has enough arm. Now, if you're talking about super deep arm, he's probably got the, you know, sixth or seventh best arm in the draft. But that's another sort of misconception is how often does an NFL quarterback whip it 50 yards in the air during an NFL game? The answer is once a week. Maybe, maybe, you know, you're really going to make your money between five and 20 or 25 yards. And Mac Jones has plenty of arm for that. And, you know, I think the knocks are sort of overextended. I think Mac Jones is a guy that could come in, play very, very well. And the bottom line is he took a team that was equally as talented as the year before that Tua had and ran it better than Tua did. And, you know, his receivers have said that. Nick Saban said that. Um, you know, it's pretty clear that a guy that went, you know, number two for quarterback last year, 
uh, had a very similar level of talent and played worse than Mac Jones. So Mac Jones, who could end up being fourth or fifth in this class, was better than the guy that was the second quarterback off the board last year. Never tell you my story about my colleague from Alabama. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I was at a conference and this guy uh, introduced himself. And my name's my name's EJ. I'm from Alabama. Favorite football team's Auburn. No one asked what his favorite football team was. That was just like how he introduced himself to the that's, to the group of the 100 South. people, right? And he just leans over and says, "Man, I think they're going to build another statue of Saban." <laughs> and the contempt the contempt of the 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 sentiment that you know Nick Saban has a statue already out in front of Alabama Stadium which I've seen I've ran by it I did a half marathon uh, on the campus of University of Alabama and they do have a statue for all of the coaches that won a, a national championship there and he was just like they're gonna build another statue anyway very funny stuff uh, Alabama wins a lot of football games they are uh, the best recruiters probably uh, in the country, and it doesn't really seem like that much fun. Those of you that root for a team that's not Alabama, uh, <laughs> yeah, I I do get into that, and everybody says, "Oh, it's because of the talent around him." And I, you know, quarterback is one of those things. Nobody's going to throw it for you, right? You can have the best offensive line, and look, he had he had. If you look at Alabama's tape, yeah, he had a lot of clean pockets, and does that help? It absolutely helps. You still got to hit a guy running 4-4 on a crossing route, and more times than not, Mac Jones puts it right in his hands. He's very accurate. He's on time, and those guys get yards not only because they're great, but because Mac Jones puts them in position to use those gifts. That's not as easy as people make it out to be. So I think that's kind of, well, I think that's a very unfair knock because there's another guy that we're not going to talk about a lot uh, that plays at Florida and Kyle Trask and, like, seven of his offensive skill players over the last two years are in the NFL. Like you can talk about a talent, you know, talent surrounding a quarterback and Kyle Trask um, made his receivers work. All of them a whole lot more than Mac Jones ever did. Uh, But you don't hear that about Kyle Trask, right? You don't hear, Oh, he's surrounded by so much talent. Like you you just hear, well, you know, that's because he's not that, he's not exactly getting talked about at the first round either. All right, let's let's round out the top five, and then I got a couple questions for you. Uh, your last guy, Trey Lance, North Dakota State, guy that played one football game this year, uh, obviously had an abbreviated season, uh, playing at the level that he did. One year of starting tape, I believe. You know, just a guy mm-hmm. that has all the tools, but not a lot of experience. Uh, what's what's kind of the book on Lance? Lance could end up being the best quarterback out of this class, okay. and it wouldn't be. I don't think I would be floored. He has gifts, uh, many of them. And yes, he only has one year of tape, but it was an amazing year of tape. True freshman starting year of tape at North Dakota, something like 24 touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, has a cannon for an arm, throws, I would say, the intermediate West Coast game very, very well. He's not as accurate all over the field, but again, on throws that quarterbacks tend to make a lot, Trey Lance can move your offense, and when he takes off and runs, he is like a running back. I've compared him to Steve McNair, who was a guy that was very solidly built at Alcorn State, uh, had a big arm, but was not a super polished thrower coming out of Alcorn State. I think Trey Lance is ahead of him as a thrower, but he reminds me of Steve McNair when he takes off to run. He will run people over. He can outrun them. Uh, Just a ton of gifts. Like you said, he's got it. He has 
the reason I put him below Mac Jones is he's going to need some polish. He's going to need a little bit of time. He's going to need a few starting reps. But the ceiling, which is what we say, the level he could ascend to is as high as anybody in this draft. And if he gets with the right spot, and we talk about this a lot, landing spot, coach, scheme, he could he could in four or five years be the guy we're talking about as the most talented quarterback in this class. Okay. So let's ask a couple questions here. We know Lawrence, we feel very confident we'd, we'd put our mortgages on Trevor Lawrence not being a Chicago Bear. Same thing with Zach Wilson. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, first overall, that's your mortgage. But you, since you said being a bear, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll throw in. No yeah, problem. yeah, yeah. It's just like <laughs> there's no real point of dreaming about trading up for these guys. The Niners traded up to three. We all believe that's for a quarterback. Now, is it Mac Jones? Is it Justin Fields? I believe it's Fields. I think you believe it's Fields. If for some reason they go Mac Jones, this will be mm-hmm. my first question. How much are you willing to trade up knowing that the draft capital increases the higher up you go as a bears fan how high up are you willing to trade up to make sure that you get the services of justin fields oh i would love to say i am dead set and i'll go to four but i know the price for going to four is exorbitant um you're gonna pay certainly in the next three years of first rounders uh probably the next two to three years of second rounders and maybe another pick and possibly a player. Like it's going to be crazy expensive. If fields is there at four and Atlanta says this pick is open for sale. uh, The bears will not be the only ones and they will probably be the ones competing from the lowest spot in the first round, which uh, teams take into consideration. So the bears would, you know, the Bears would be silly not to call, but they also might be silly to try and throw everything into the kitty to get him. I would say it really heats up for the Bears if Justin Fields slides to pick seven. And I don't think he'll get that far, just to right. be clear. But if he was there, and quite frankly, if Trey Lance is still there at seven as well, you start calling in earnest. And you say, now, I don't think Detroit is probably going to trade with the Bears. Um but you start calling and you start figuring out what that price is going to be as you get down towards 10. And if you get to eight and he's still there, you are on the phone solid and now you're doing what it takes. And it might still be a very similar price, but being where you are with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, jobs on the line, no uh, quarterback of the future on the roster or you're really looking at the guys that can compete right now. And that pretty much ends at Jones and Fields. Like Trey Lance, not a guy that you're going to bring in for this year to try and win a ton of games. So yeah, I would say really it heats up at about seven uh, and you go from there. All right. So let's, let's say the first three picks are Lawrence Wilson Fields. Those guys are off the board. That's how we think it goes. Atlanta owns the draft at number four. They control the draft. Now, in my opinion, Atlanta should take Trey Lance, let him sit behind Matt Ryan. <laughs> they can trade him next. They can trade Matt Ryan next year. They save seven million off the cap. I know it's a ton, big cap hit, but they could do it and they could save some money off the cap hit if they traded Matt Ryan next year. Maybe they give two years of it with Lance behind Ryan and then feel like they can move on. Uh, to me, I don't see how the Falcons are going to. Be able to 
consider themselves drafting up that high again anywhere in the near future. They have a lot of talent on that team, but they may be convinced to trade out. I don't know how far back they want to trade, or they may want a guy like Kyle Pitts who would be kind of an amazing addition into that offense. Uh, And so they're pretty interesting there. I would tend to think that one of the quarterbacks goes at four, and I would think that it's probably Lance, but I could be wrong. Then you start talking about Cincinnati. They're obviously they already have a quarterback. The Dolphins at six, they already have a quarterback. You know, did they did they trade back up to six so they could trade back out? I mean, maybe they're they seem kind of crazy, but to me, they probably put themselves <laughs> in that position probably to take a weapon. Um, you know, one of the one of the major wide receivers that we'll talk about next episode or Pitts if he doesn't go uh, before that pick, and so I, I can see. That, like you said, it starts to heat up at seven with Detroit, and Detroit has Jared Goff. Wouldn't be crazy to me to for them to take a quarterback. Wouldn't be crazy for, for me to see them trade out of that spot either. They're probably not going to trade with the Bears. And then you're talking about Carolina, who just acquired Sam Darnold. But does that preclude you as Carolina from taking a quarterback? I wouldn't think so. And then you've got Denver, who has no interest in, in moving forward with Drew Locke. They're they're interested in moving up so that they could get a quarterback as well. And so you're talking about a lot of teams, more than five teams for five quarterbacks already, and we're at pick nine. I don't see it. I don't see how any of these guys are going to get to a point where the Bears can make an aggressive move up that someone like the Broncos or even Carolina or someone can't move up and, and the team that's trading back feels like they don't, they're not trading all the way out of the blue chip prospects. That, and that's the other thing you got to remember. The Bears don't have pick 10 or pick 12. They have pick 20. And so if you're going to ask Atlanta to move all the way back to 20, they're out of all the blue chip prospects at that point. They're, they're now starting to get to guys that are, of course, first rounders, but they're not these guys that you know have very few flaws. And so for me, I don't see it i don't see that there's more players to trade up for one of these five guys than there is quarterbacks i don't disagree and the other thing is the other players are starting at a higher table position right right the the panthers the broncos they all have more ammunition and uh, quite frankly, a more favorable trade spot. Like they they giving a higher pick, and they have less far to go. So it would be incredibly difficult for the Bears to get up and get one of those guys. The only way I could see this happening is if it goes one, two, three, and Fields is a three to San Francisco. Atlanta gets to four. They shop the pick, and the Panthers and Denver kind of spar for that pick to get Trey Lance. They get Lance at four, and then everybody goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, Kyle Pitts is still on the board. Penny Sewell's still on the board. Whatever edge rusher you want's on the board. All the wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Waddle, they're all on the board, right? Everybody goes, okay, cool out, like... Mac Jones is not better than all those guys. So let's go on a run here, pick some corners, pick some tackles, whatever. And then you start to get down into, you know, maybe 10 or 12, right? Because either the Panthers or Denver got satisfied at four 
And, you know, maybe maybe Vic doesn't like Mac Jones. Maybe he doesn't think he's worth the pick, whatever. Maybe he wants another blue chip pick. And then you start to look at the players farther down that might go up for Mac if he's still on the board. And Mac could have a draft day slide. Like his value is probably end of the first round, top of the second round, regardless of his position, right? But position's right. always a thing. And people are going to be looking at, do I want the fifth best quarterback, who is a guy that, again, can keep the train on time, but is probably not going to pull me out of the fire like a Patrick Mahomes, like he doesn't have that kind of ceiling. Do I want that guy or do I want the second best wide receiver in this draft, which is a loaded draft? Do I want the second best offensive tech? Do I want the best defensive tackle on the board at a, at a 15 or 16? And all of a sudden you're starting to get down towards the Bears pick. Maybe they have to move up a few spots to get him. Or maybe, uh, like an Aaron Rodgers or something else, Mac Jones is sitting there at 20. Then the Bears just flat out take him. Sure. That's it. Yep. I, I think you're right. I don't think I would move up very many picks to take Mac Jones because I feel like for this coming season, veteran Andy Dalton and rookie Mac Jones are probably fairly similar in what they're going to give you. I would probably give up a lot to get Justin Fields if he falls below four for some reason. Um, I, I don't really think that they can get to four, but, you know, crazier things have happened. I My prediction is I don't think any of these guys fall out of the top ten. I think that Denver, Denver would take Mac, in my opinion, Denver would take Mac Jones because he's the opposite of Drew Locke. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the anti-cutler junior well yeah, it's, in terms of accuracy he's yeah. he's the, he's the opposite so i let's let's say that the bears do not trade up they're pro and, and those five guys are gone like you said if mac jones falls to him they're going to take him but let's just say that doesn't happen they're they're priced out those five guys go in the top 10 they're going to have a good pick of 20 we're going to talk about some of those potential targets here in a bit but there's not another quarterback that you're going to take at 20 overall. You're going to be looking towards later on in the draft. So there's a couple of later round prospects that I think that you have your eye on. And the first guy that I hear a lot about, a lot of Bears fans talking about this guy, Kellen Mond from Texas A&M. Yeah, I love Kellen Mond, uh, but I love him for what he is. And that is not a guy you're going to pluck out and say, you're our starter, certainly not over a, an established veteran like Andy Dalton. And I like Kellen Mond's value starting in the third round. Okay. Kellen Mond will not last to the third round because the shelf drops off after, like you said, four plus one, top five, whatever you want to call it. After whoever your fifth quarterback is in this draft, there is a steep drop in talent. And there's only a couple of guys on that secondary shelf. And then it drops off again and it goes pretty much right to the low round flyer of we'll see what we get you know f around and find out like we'll just draft somebody and see how it goes well it, so, you know from the bears perspective that's not a ter you already have the bridge quarterback in place it's a one-year 10 million dollar deal for andy dalton you think he's going to come in and hit the ground running because he has familiarity with somebody on staff he's a veteran he's done it before he's already shown that he's worked in multiple systems like dalton's there to be the bridge so bringing in a guy that needs a year of seasoning to, to learn from, it's not the worst idea in the world. You're saying starting in the third, but he'll probably go in the second. So with the second round pick, if the if he's sitting there for the Bears at 52 or whatever that pick is, and they take Kellen Mond, what's your reaction? 
Uh, I'd struggle with it. Uh, I like Mond as a player. I think he's got a great ceiling. I, I like him more than most people in the draft. The other thing is there are very talented players in this class that the Bears, who will be on the board, that the Bears right. could use at positions right. of need. And as a value, it won't be great. But the draft is a fickle thing, and Mond won't be there when they pick in the third. I, I would bet a good amount of money that he's not going to be there. And and whoever is there is a much bigger reach than a guy like Kellen Mond. With a, he's the opposite of Trey Lance. Ton of starting experience, very athletic like Lance, um, hits periods in his film where you go, oh my God. Like if you are watching the 2020 film versus Alabama, he eviscerates them for two quarters. Through two and three, he runs Alabama up and down the field. He got the aforementioned Nick Saban so hot and bothered. Nick Saban ran out of defensive coverage he has never played before. Hmm. My other podcast partner... Brett Coleman saw this play and said, I don't know what that is. So he called up a guy that basically installs the Alabama system for other teams and says, what is this? Like, I think it's this, but it kind of looks like this. What am I not seeing here? The guy looked at it and went, that's new. He's never done <laughs> that before. So if you get Nick Saban so hot and bothered that you're whipping him up and down the field that he pulls something out of his pocket that he's never shown before, you're doing pretty well. The problem right. is what happened on the end of those drives, and it wasn't it wasn't that great. But Mon is a guy I like. Tons of tools, tons of starting experience, needs a little bit of consistency, but less than people think. And he's the guy out of that second batch that I would be super happy with in the third. But if they picked him in the second, to reframe your question, there's going to be other players on the boards at positions I think they need just as much that they're going to leave there to pick a guy like Kellen Mon. Yeah. Uh, the next guy you have, and I am not familiar with this guy. So Jamie Newman out of Wake Forest. So what can you tell me about the Demon Deacon? Yeah, the Demon Deacon. Jamie Newman is a guy with a ton of tools, played at Wake Forest, not this last year, the year before. Then he transferred to Georgia and then opted out for COVID. So he never played at Georgia. The tape you will see of him is from Wake Forest. When he was there, the highlights, when everything works right on Jamie Newman's tape, it's awe-inspiring. He's a big dude. He's about 6'4", about 220, cannon for an arm, uh, can definitely use his legs to make yards. And when he lights it up, you go, oh, that's a pro quarterback right there. Problem is, <laughs> Wake Forest ran kind of a goofy offense. Uh, so it's the pro translation is a, is a little bit tough. The physical skills definitely translate. And the other thing is we talked about consistency with Mon. Consistency with Jamie Newman is not as good. You do see him make high-level reads. You do see him make high-level throws. And then he comes around on the next play, and that cannon of an arm just gets him farther off target faster. So he's a guy that needs some seasoning, but he's got every tool in the book that you'd want from a pro quarterback. And you do see him execute the skills, but he's farther away than a lot of other guys. So he's actually probably going to go in the fourth or the fifth because he is a project. Okay. I don't mind project for a year and see what you got. I kind of want to fill the other holes in first. So that name is definitely one I'll keep in mind. And you have kind of a late sleeper. I don't know what late sleeper means in your world. That kind of means like a dart throw six round draft pick kind of thing. And the bears have almost exactly. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a guy by the name of Shane Bouchelle from yep. SMU. 
Indeed. Formerly of Texas, has been at uh, SMU for the past few years, uh, was the guy as soon as he walked onto the SMU campus, you know, big recruit that came over from Texas. Again, tall guy, big platform, big arm, uh, can hit those roles just like Mond where he is lighting folks up, delivering shots down the field, uh, and then occasionally he's overthrowing screen passes and you're like, oh, you're just killing the drive, right? So uh, all the talent in the world, but inconsistency, um, some team's going to take a shot on him. He will get drafted. Some team will spend a pick on him because he, he is quarterback coaches are famous for, we can fix him, <laughs> And they're going to look at a guy like Shane Bouchelle and think we can fix him. And uh, I was just watching a guy and this guy's not on our agenda, but uh, he's going to go UDFA and he's out of Tulsa. His name is Zach Smith. And uh, Brett and I were just watching him versus the UCF defense because there's a bunch of UCF defenders who are going to get drafted, including uh, safety in a corner. And Zach Smith, although he does not have a great arm, is really tough and made a bunch of throws that are flat out pro level throws in that game. Now, Tulsa lost that game. They were sort of clawing back in there. Uh, Zach Smith is not going to wow anybody with his physical skills. He's certainly not a runner, but he is a guy that he, he... you know, as a UDFA, I would love to see him as an arm in camp because he made some top-level throws against a good defense and brought his team back uh, when they were clearly less talented than their UCF opponents. So just as a sort of stick it in your back pocket and, you know, that week after the draft when they're finalizing the UDFA roster, if Zach Smith happened to end up in Chicago, I wouldn't be against it. I could see Nagy, uh, as a former quarterback himself, really liking a guy like Zach Smith. All right, before we take our break, I want to give you the opportunity to call your shot. Uh-oh. What are the what's Ryan Pace going to do in this draft? One, will he take a quarterback? I think that's a fairly safe yes. And two, who's the guy general vicinity of the draft he takes it? I think if Atlanta's crazy enough, well, first if San Francisco's crazy enough to take Mac Jones at 3 and Justin Fields is still there at 4 and Atlanta wants to take somebody's money and Ryan Pace throws the entire general store at them, uh, they might listen. I still don't think they'll have the best offer, but I think that seems like a Pace move. It is, you know, it's kind of all in, all the chips, whatever I've got in my pockets, here's my car keys, give me Justin Fields. I think if anybody will listen to Ryan Pace when he makes that pitch, he'll do it. Because if Justin Fields is on the board at four, I would not be surprised for Ryan Pace to sell everything he can get his hands on to go for it. And look, if Justin Fields works out as the quarterback of the future, I don't think any of us will balk. Uh, I don't think that's a very realistic shot. And I don't know how much he'll mortgage to move up for a guy like Trey Lance if he starts to slide. So I'll say... Whether or not they draft him, if Fields is on the board at four, Ryan Pace throws everything against the wall at Atlanta to try and go get him. Okay. I'm going to say something that's even less likely, but I'm going to just try to put it in the universe. And that is they trade down from 20. Oh, my God. (laughs) And they use the extra capital to take a guy like Kellen Bond in the second so it doesn't hurt as much, but they still have other picks where they can fill in some holes. So – I'm not saying that will happen because Ryan Pace trading down seems like just unlikely kind of a funny thing this to year. Even talk I would, about. I would love it, but I, I'm with you. I don't think it'll happen. 
All right. Well, there's our predictions in quotes. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about a, a really good tackle draft and some center prospects that I'm pretty excited about. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, EJ, so let's get into some line play. This is a fun group of tackles. I have been really pleased to see that there's some high-end talent and then there's plenty of depth. So a couple guys are going to be off the board early, we think. Slater, Sewell, those guys are probably going to go real real quick. But there's probably going to be some real talent at tackle for the Bears to choose from when they're on the clock at 20. And I... I've kind of fallen for Tevin Jenkins, who's out of Oklahoma State. So give us a scouting report on Tevin Jenkins. I love Tevin Jenkins. If the Bears pick up, if the Bears stay at 20 and pick Tevin Jenkins to be uh, a tackle of the future, uh, primarily it would be their right tackle this year. It's a position he played in college, and it's the position the Bears have a fairly obvious hole at right now. Tevin Jenkins is amazing. Big guy, brawler, huge wingspan great grip strength and uh two things that i love about him that you would probably love as well and i think chicago fans would fall in love with fairly quickly uh nasty demeanor you regularly see him push guys out of the frame push them onto the sideline drop them over the bench um and the other one is he has this amazing rotational torque so he is one of those guys that quote unquote if he puts you in the cage you're not getting out between the drip the grip strength the arm length and his ability to just turn his core, drop you, and lay on top of you, he does it routinely. We were talking to um, Brandon Thorne about this, and the thing that I love that he said about Tevin Jenkins is that that is regular feature of his tape. Happens all the time. It's not a one-time highlight per tape. Like You see Tevin Jenkins get a hold of guys, crank them, put them on the ground, and lay on top of them all the time. And he is a tough dude, and... Doesn't give up a ton of pressures. Uh, very, very strong. Great run blocker. Uh, I I love Tevin Jenkins. It kind of reminds me a little bit of if Olin Krutz got bigger and got kicked out to tackle because he grew a few inches over the offseason and put on a little more weight because he's got that nasty streak. And I, I really like guys that play with that edge. Uh, particularly on the right side. I, mean, I know this is old convention probably at this point, but 
on the right side, I want my, my guys real nasty and ready to run block and go crazy. On the left side, they could be a little bit more like controlled and, and, and more focused on the pass set. But yeah, he, he really excites me. I'm really interested. I should back up and I should say the reason why we're focusing on offensive tackle is that the Bears cut Bobby Massey, and right now the penciled-in starter at right tackle is Jermaine Effetti, which, depending on your opinion of Mr. Effetti, uh, I'm not sure that I like that for 16 games at right tackle. I think that that's a better swing play than it is uh, swing guard play, uh, to be honest with you, than it is to be tackled. So that that's why uh, we both feel like uh, tackle is a pretty good chance that there will be a premium pick used there. Now, back to the guys that are in this draft, Christian Derisoff from Virginia Tech. So this is a guy that's got a lot more of the measurables, like a lot more of the stuff that the the, the scouts like. He's a little bigger. He's got longer arms. Um, he just seems like a guy that checks all the boxes that way. What about game film on Derisaw, though? He's a good player, very good player, and will definitely be drafted either – in you know mid to late first round or or easily the beginning of the second round and we should just say right now the if you want to put a prop bet up there the run on tackles at the top half of round two is going to be awe-inspiring like there's going to be four maybe five that go in the first round there's probably going to be another five that go in the top half of round two before the bears pick again there ot2 is round two is just going to be littered with offensive tackles there's so many good guys there's such a thirst in the league for the position it's just like alignment of a perfect storm there are going to be tackles flying off the board we see these runs every year that the run at the top of round two for tackles is going to be ridiculous there's going to be probably three or four in the top 10 picks so uh, you know, you want to get the guy that you want at 20 if you're looking at tackle. Now, there is enough depth, we just talked about that, that if you want that sort of second or third tier guy and you think there's a chance that you can pick him up in your second round pick and you're going for something that's a little less uh, thick in terms of depth, I could see that from the Bears. But Derisaw is great, a very athletic run blocker, comes with power, um, He's fast, but sometimes he oversets. It almost works against him a little bit, uh, but can get to any sort of reach block. Uh, has definite left tackle potential, and yes, that is a little bit outdated, but a great player and wouldn't be upset with him. I like Jenkins a little bit better, but it is a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think I'm a little bit higher on Jenkins. I haven't watched nearly the amount of tape that you guys have, but certainly dug into these guys a little bit and prep for this show. And I will say that our colleague, Jacob Infante, I asked him directly on a tweet where he listed his uh, top tackles. And I said, why is Derisaw ahead of Jenkins and what's the gap? And he says, the gap's close, but I like Derisaw because he likes those measurables a little better. So, you know, I, I do think that they're probably really close. I'm sure they flip back and forth depending on who you listen to. And I bet you that they'll probably be drafted within a few picks of each other. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think this would be a pretty good way to spend your first round draft pick the the next guy that you have on the tackle list a guy out of texas and i i don't know how to say his last name so i'm gonna let you just go for it it's samuel cosme and sam cosme is a guy that uh in any other tackle class i said this on a podcast last week in any other tackle class sam cosme is 
a guaranteed lock to be in the conversation for the top three. Wow. Like, no, your average tackle class, you know, maybe not last year because last year had four really strong tackles at the top. But he still probably would have been in that conversation for, like, fifth or maybe fourth, depending on your preferences. Sam Cosme is crazy. 317 pounds, and he ran a 48740. <laughs> oh, that's dumb. <laughs> Just, yeah, that's dumb. And nobody's, I don't want to say nobody's talking about him, but because there's there's so many other good tackles with Sewell and Slater, the names you put up at the top, and then the next tier of Derisaw and Jenkins, and just so many other tackles that we're going to be talking about in round two. We talked about how many will go. There's going to be some, the leftovers are going to go late round two, top of round three. There's there's so many tackles going off the board that a guy that is massive, strong, played at a major program in Texas is just a tremendously crazy athlete, strong, you know, obviously down low to run that fast, but up top as well, good control, um, you know, long enough arms, quote unquote, long enough arms to play tackle by NFL standards. And like Sam Cosme's not getting the press. So if the Bears were to follow your prediction uh, from before the break and be smart enough to trade down because, again, I think they could do that. Trade into the back end of the first round here, maybe drop 10 picks, get down to 28, 30, 32, something like that. They'd still get a really good tackle. They could get a guy like Cosme and they would have another very high round pick, probably a round two pick. Maybe they could use that to package with Kellen Mond, whatever. But Cosme is a guy that, you know, again, any other year you're talking about this guy as a top three, which is usually top three tackle is usually a top 10, top 15 pick in the NFL draft. And like, he's probably going to be the fifth or sixth tackle off the board this year. It's just insane. Any of these guys that weigh over 300 pounds and run under a five second 40, I always am just like, oh my, that's amazing. Here's the thing about Cosme. So there's a thing called relative athletic score. You might be familiar with it. Sure. Put, put together with a guy named Kentley Platt. So it's RAS. And it it's a, again, relative means it's a mix between speed, size, and explosion or power. Now, size is pretty straightforward. They talk about height, weight, and your bench strength. Explosion, they're really talking about vertical jump and broad jump. How much power can you generate at a snap? Speed scores, pretty familiar with. That's 40-yard dash. And then what you were talking about, agility scores of shuttle and three cones. So you really take these three elements, you weave them together, and you get an overall score out of 10 points. And then it gets graded over time because this system has graded players since 1987. So there are now usually over 1,000 players in each position that have been graded. And it says, this player came in with a score of blank, which puts him at, you know, 234 out of 1,300 players graded. Um Sam Cosme's RAS score is 9.99, which is ridiculous. He's 6'5", 314. He benched 36 reps, a vertical of 30, which is ridiculous. Again, over 300 pounds, a 9-foot broad jump. Again, the 40 is just blazing, 487. He had a 1.68-second 10-yard split, which is what you're really looking for with a lineman. His shuttle was 439, and his three-cone was 7.35, which is better than some safeties in this draft. So Sam Cosme is an athletic freak, but this entire class of tackles from a just purely athletic testing standpoint is 
off the charts ridiculous. It's so every, you could throw a stick in this class and hit a guy that has a number that's just unbelievable. I will be so sad if we come out of these two drafts and don't get a tackle for the Bears because the last draft had some good ones and then this draft just looks so deep. I'm, I'm, I don't want to go there. We're going to take a tackle. We, I, I, I would be, yeah, I would be very disappointed because the Bears have a need to tackle, not only now, but Leno's, Leno's contract is coming to a close. They need to restock. It's not just replacing Massey for this year. It's potentially replacing Leno for next. And they could change the future in two picks. Yeah. It's not crazy to think that they could take two. That's I would how good love classes. There, there's a lot of good value. And you could get one lower down. We're not talking about taking two in the first two picks. I mean, you could do that. But as a value, I don't love it because there are guys in round four and five that are starter capable. Yeah, we're not even going to get into all of them. But another guy that you have listed is Walker Little out of Stanford. And you, you have him listed as a wild card. Um, but I, I have heard about this guy. But what's your scouting report on Walker Little? So Walker Little had a knee injury, so he was out last year. But if you go back to his previous year's tape, Walker Little might have the prettiest pass set in this draft. And that's saying something because we just talked about how talented all these guys are. And you look at Walker Little's tape and he is textbook like he is an excellent pass protector and that is going to get you a job in this league because it is a passing league so again uh this year is really tough medical information is is limited hard to come by there was no combine where everybody got to come together with all the team doctors and get sort of unified information about where he is in his recovery process uh you know pro days have been all over the board um it's just a very difficult year to deal with prospects who had serious injuries and walker little's in that in that bunch and somebody's going to look at his 2019 tape and go man this is one of the three or four best pass protectors in this class like sign me up and somebody else is going to go yeah but (laughs) i'm not so sure about the knee so uh, i don't know i couldn't verify it so i'm going to i'm going to take something else that's much more certain yeah and with the depth of the class a guy like that with the red flag could move down the board just because of the fact that you can take a guy that you feel a little bit more confident in, doesn't have that medical red flag. I don't know what the Bears are at with taking medical red flags or not, to be honest with you. Some teams just take them completely off the board, and some teams are, are willing to gamble on them. I'm not sure where the Bears are at on that right now, um, but I would say that probably they want them to contribute. This is not a team that can say, if you come in and you take a year medical redshirt for the for your first year, that's no big deal. No, the Bears need these first couple picks to hit. Ryan Pace needs this uh, to try to keep his job. So a couple and of other guys. Just that, to clarify, Little's injury was more than a year ago. So he's he by the time we get through this summer, he's going to be about a year and a half. He should, you know, typical again. Everybody's different, but typical recovery should be regaining that real explosion at a year and a half, and and would be potentially in position to start. Stuff on those big guys, um, so just just always keep that in mind too. It's not like Adrian Peterson, who's kind of otherworldly, um, running back, being able to come back in like six months or whatever that was. That, that was, was staggering. Yeah, uh, a little bit further down the board, a couple guys I want to go through with you. Um, Stone Forsyth, best name in the draft, I think, at least among offensive linemen. I mean, I'm sorry, but if you have an offensive lineman named Stone. 
uh, that's pretty darn good. Like it's middle a linebacker start. rushing, and you stone him at the line. I mean that that's pretty dang good. No, it it lines up really well. It's almost as good as a running back named Gainwell. But there you go. Uh, yes. No, Stone Forsythe out of Florida is a guy that a lot of people came to later in the process. Again, watching Kyle Trask and his offense and going man, nobody's talking about this guy. And a lot of that comes from, he wasn't, you know, necessarily a five-star recruit. And, but the more you watch that Florida passing attack, because there was a lot of it, uh, they certainly ran the ball as well, but Stone Forsyth, the guy with great length and reach, big frame, moves his feet really well. So he's that big long arm left tackle pass protector. It's where he played in college. It's where he projects in the pros. And a lot of people came away from Stone Forsyth's tape saying, Look, people are saying this is a third or a fourth or maybe even a fifth round guy if they haven't heard him. This guy can start at left tackle in the NFL. Like he played, you know, in a very competitive conference against a lot of top pass rushers and he did very well. And he's just one of those guys that's sort of slowly kind of quietly risen up. But again, in this class, there's probably 10 guys listed over Stone Forsyth and you could get a Stone Forsyth in like late two, early three round and he legit has a chance to come in and start at tackle. So, uh, you know, guys like this are all over the board. And another guy is Brady Christensen out of BYU, which is we're talking about Zach Wilson's tackle now, right? We talked about Zach Wilson as a quarterback. And if you run outside zone, Brady Christensen is your guy. He is starter quality and outside zone right now. Very, very mobile, really good athlete. Excellent run blocker, decent pass blocker, but in outside zone, he can get outside. He can reach. Uh, you often see him at the second level erasing people. Brady Christensen is an underrated tackle. Might go, I don't know, he's been sneaking up a little bit lately, but he might go as late as the third, like top of the third. If you get Brady Christensen like down in the 80s, the 90s, the the 100th pick, you're getting, again, a starter quality NFL tackle, depending on your scheme, in the third round. That is not typical. No, not at all. And there's a couple other guys that you have as late round guys. And and I I believe I'm going to say this correctly. Brendan Hymas. You are going to say it correctly. I am so yeah. excited. I just learned that last week. I've been saying James. It's spelled like James. Uh, but it is indeed Brendan Hymas from uh, Nebraska. And he is another guy that, uh, maybe not as athletically gifted as some of these other tackles, but when you look at his reps, this is a guy that I, I don't think he can start necessarily this year, but I think within two years, you could absolutely see quality starting reps out of a guy like Brendan Hymas. And then Josh Ball is uh, Josh Ball from Marshall is that ball a clay guy. He is big. He is way down the board. Nobody's saying his name. He's got really good feet. And offensive line coaches love big guys with good feet. They know they can work with that. And he's got some pretty good reps on tape, but he definitely, he needs some polish. But again, if you're looking for the tools and the size and you can't teach people to dance, right? They're either mobile or they're not. And Josh Ball has really good feet at that size. So he's way down the board, probably fifth, uh, sixth even. And he's not going to start right away, but he's the guy you're going to bring on as your swing or maybe put him on the practice squad if you get him in the sixth or seventh. And a couple of years from now, you either have a really good swing tackle or you might have a starter, depending on how much he progresses. That sounds a little bit bit like Leno. A little bit. Yep. Keep that name filed away, Josh Ball. So I want to move on to center because I, I think that if you think about this line, 
And you assume that James Daniel is going to come back and play guard. I don't know if they'll move him back to center. I, I think they like him at guard. And I think that, boy, if, if last year's tape didn't convince you that Cody Whitehair needs to stay at guard, I don't know what will. So let's assume that those two guys are your starting guards. you got Leno penciled in there at left tackle. And I, I really think that you've got a you need a center and you need a right tackle. I don't I don't feel comfortable with what you got there. At least you gotta add some competition. And I think this is a really interesting draft to look at the center prospects and see if there's somebody that you can bring in because there's two guys up top, and top for centers is not first round, it's round two or three. You don't usually draft a center in the first round. Uh, EJ has that in the notes, and I would say it just doesn't happen very often that you get a center in the first round. So uh, but but there's guys later on too that I think could p- potentially come in and start right away. And so this is this is a position that I really think Ryan Pace needs to needs to think about bringing in here. Uh, the two guys that I, and I like them both, um, and that's Landon Dickerson out of Alabama, who's a big guy for a center, uh, and then Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma. So which of those two guys do you like and why? Yeah, <laughs> I love them both. Uh, yeah. But they, you know, if I had to pick one right now. I've got to pick Creed Humphrey, and it's not because he's the better player. Okay. Lana Dickerson is, and this is going to sound crazy because we just wax poetic about all the talent in the offensive tackle class. Landon Dickerson is probably the best offensive lineman in this draft. You're just worried about the medicals. Yep. He is big. He can play guard. He can play center. He dominated at Alabama in the SEC. You see him do things on tape that are not natural for a man of his size at his position. And not only with his feet, the thing that makes him so dangerous is his brain. He understands. And you need a smart guy at the pivot. Landon Dickerson is all of that. So, EJ, why is he not, like, you know, top-round talent? Four season-ending injuries in the last four years. So currently healthy, was seen last seen doing cartwheels at Mac Jones' pro day. Um, but you got to think about that in terms of durability because he is a killer when he's on the field, but you got to keep him on the field. Creed Humphrey has been at Oklahoma forever. All the quarterbacks that have come out of Oklahoma is a, you know, Lincoln Riley's got Oklahoma as a quarterback factory. That if you start at Oklahoma, you're going on to start in the NFL at quarterback. That's pretty much how the train's going. The guy they have there now is is certainly the next in line, and Spencer Rattler. Creed Humphrey's been the center for all of them. He's right. been in Oklahoma forever, like six years. He's started almost every game. He is a flat-out, hardcore, offensive line prospect. He is very good. He is super savvy, really strong. Probably going to go in the 60 or 70 range of overall picks. Um, a guy that you're going to plug in and everybody says 10 year starter. And I kind of hate that, but like seven or eight years, you're not going to worry about center if you draft Creed Humphrey. And I think he would be an ideal fit in Chicago. And, you know, again, second round pick, you plug him in the middle, presumably maybe you got that offensive lineman, you plug in Creed Humphrey and Tevin Jenkins with the existing bears line. That's the best line in the NFC North. Like, and it's not close. Yeah. That's exciting. Like that's something, and, and a guy with a guy like Andy Dalton taking snaps, you know, he's a veteran. He's not the most fleet of foot. Uh, so building up that offensive line, not an issue in my mind. Like spend the picks. Uh, I know I'm a former offensive lineman, but like this is something that needs to happen. This is something that's been really 
not uh, a focus of Ryan Pace's tenure, particularly the tackles. Um, there's still some guys later on, a couple of Big Ten guys that I think are kind of interesting. So Josh Myers out of Ohio State and Kendrick Green out of Illinois. So a couple of Big Ten guys and then a guy named Drew Dahlman out of Stanford. Yeah. Uh, Josh Myers, again, OSU, very good line. Uh, often see both tackles and guards drafted out of OSU and uh, played very well as Justin Fields' center. Um, Going to go in probably, though, somewhere between the 110 to 140 range. He'll be like that third sort of big center off the board, uh, obviously much farther down than the other two that we just mentioned. Kendrick Green is really interesting. Played more guard than center, but can play center. Huge guy. Really strong. This is the part you're going to love. Wrestling background. Mm-hmm. And you get a wrestling background. Big Ten Big Ten yep. offensive lineman with a wrestling background. Where do I sign up? Hmm, strange. Weird that. No, Kendrick Green is a really interesting guy. Uh, a lot more mobility than a lot of centers. And, and quite frankly, a lot more size. And then Drew Dahlman's a guy who I've seen valuations on him very, really widely. I've seen him anywhere from the, like, 120 range down to like the 220 range which is darn near the bottom of the draft if you get a guy like drew dahlman in the 200s and the bears have four picks in that range you're getting a guy that could come in compete and win the starting job over a guy like sam mustafer who played well and i think played above his level last year dahlman is a guy that is that good or slightly better um and again, you're looking at the Walker Little tape, and you're and you're looking at their quarterbacks tape. Who's going to get drafted? They've got a wide receiver who's going to get drafted. And you're like, who's this guy in the middle? He like, he's controlling things. He's great on doubles. He's never letting pressure up the middle. Like, huh? And pretty soon you realize, hey, Drew Dahlman is you know a potential starting center in the NFL because centers don't necessarily get drafted high. There's a lot of guys that got drafted in the third, fourth, fifth round that are starters in the NFL at center. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, you got a couple lottery tickets uh, that you've that you've laid out. Guy from Grambling. Oh, anytime you get, uh, you know, historically black colleges and and, and uh, small college prospects. I'm surprised you didn't put the Wisconsin Whitewater guy up. Uh, just just for fun too. But anytime you're going there, you're definitely talking about guys that um, you're digging pretty deep. So David Moore from Grambling, guy named Drake Jackson out of Kentucky, and Jimmy Morrissey from Pitt. Yeah, I didn't put Miners on there. I love Miners, but I really see Miners as a guard. A lot of people yeah. see him as a center. I, I think, again, much like the Cody Whitehair debate, you put Quinn Miners at guard, he just goes out and tears people up for seven or eight years. You don't move him, and you're really happy with that pick. So that's the only reason he didn't make my center list. Uh, David Moore was a guy that showed up at the Senior Bowl. I had not watched him before I started watching Senior Bowl tape to get ready. Uh, for that event and he is a tree trunk man he is a stump he is like six two maybe six three uh just over 300 pounds and he anchors like you don't move this guy he is built square and strong and he went down to the senior bowl against uh you know much higher level competition and stone defensive tackles left and right till you finally had to say who is that guy and it was david moore from grambling drake jackson um more slightly built from Kentucky. He's one of those guys that's like just under 300 pounds. And you go, ah, look, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want a light center. And then you look at his record and, you know, Kentucky plays in the SEC and a lot of good players, especially on the interior defensive line in the SEC. And you look at how many like pressures Drake Jackson gave up in like four years or three and a half years of starts at Kentucky. And it's like, oh, he averaged like seven pressures a year. 
<laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. And like no sacks in his last, oh, it's something like 800 pass blocking snaps. And you're like, oh, so small or not, he understands what he's doing uh, and he's going right. to be available as value. Jimmy Morrissey's a little bit, uh, same same deal. Uh, very feisty, center for pit. Um very athletic, very active, uses leverage very well. Not the biggest guy. Certainly his measurables are not going to blow you away. But um, on tape, he, he reminds me of Mustafer. And, and so would you go get another Mustafer to compete with Mustafer? Not really. Uh, but if you're a team in need of a center, you're going to be able to get him in sort of the, the late fifth to seventh, depending on value. And, you know, he's a guy that could come in. And if you didn't have a guy there like Mustafer, could fill that void for you. All right, well, that's the offensive line targets, tackles and centers that we think uh, Ryan Pace should be looking at, and hopefully we'll bring at least one, if not two, maybe three offensive linemen in this draft. <laughs> Who knows? It's pretty deep, and it'd be great to restock this line. And I think this is the year to do it. I really do. I think this is the year that they should be focusing on that offensive line, bringing in uh, some compadres for Daniels and Whitehair, and really setting that line up for years to come. So um, that's definitely something that we're going to be looking forward to in, with the premium picks that day one and day two of the draft. But let's end this first episode of our two-part series of, of the draft previews by talking about the beers. I will say, you know, I'm not the biggest you know pale ale guy, but I could see why you'd want to drink a few of those. You know, it's not overly... <laughs> If there's not too much alcohol in it, you know, it was 4.7, it went down pretty quick. And, uh, yeah, I, I it was a mixed sixer for me, so I don't have another one. But if I did buy a six-pack, I would go drink another one. Yep. What about you? I can see it. No, the 805 is really good. I was just looking up the alcohol on the side. It's 4.7, so very sessionable beer. Um, you know, it, I like Firestone Walker's offerings in general. Uh, 805 is a, is a bit of a departure for them a little bit a little bit of an offshoot it's kind of more of a lifestyle beer they built sort of a marketing campaign around that sort of properly chill central california coast lifestyle um but as a as a beer you just kind of want to sit down and drink uh very easy to drink it not a ton of alcohol in it good flavor uh it is not a super pale lager it pours a little bit darker than that so it's got some body to it um i I like it. It's easily accessible where I live and uh, not overly expensive. Uh, great beer. We're coming up to summer. Beer you could definitely drink all summer. Awesome. Awesome. So what's going on over at Bootleg? Oh, God. Uh, it is it is high time. We are uh, just a couple of weeks out from the draft. We have started um, our draft interview series. We're really excited. Uh, by the time this lands, our first one will be out with uh, Danny Kelly of The Ringer. And Oof, in classic, classic bootleg fashion, we couldn't just stop there. Uh, we had to tack on a whole a whole episode about the disruptors from the defensive line in this draft. It ended up being two and a half hours. Uh, so that's <laughs> going to be uh, that will have uploaded to YouTube by the time this podcast drops. We have two more interviews coming before the draft. We have a live stream uh, sort of pre-draft party the Wednesday night before the draft. And then the big one, the draft live stream starts. We will be live streaming all three rounds, uh, starting with first round on Thursday, going through rounds two and three on Friday, and then with you all day on Saturday as the draft finishes out. So uh, we're really excited about that. We are pushing for the finish line. It seems close, but at the same time, not all that close. 
Uh, man, that's uh, you're running ragged. You're going every which way. I love to see how you're popping up all the time. Obviously, on Twitter is where I can make sure that I'm catching everything that you're doing. Uh, so make sure that you're following EJ at the Draftsman FB. I'm taking your role here, uh, and then of course follow me at Gridironborn. And uh, I'll just say for myself, you know, the last couple of weeks, just kind of stepping back and enjoying. Uh, the story that I wrote about the Bears artwork just kind of sitting out there and got a lot of feedback uh, from that. Uh, thank you for everybody that read it and everybody that commented on the article or on Twitter. I really do appreciate that sort of thing. And I will just say that I have received feedback from everyone that I interviewed uh, for the story and a lot of nice things were said. And I talked to the artist's son again and he said that he thought his dad would really be touched by being honored by that story and so that that was pretty cool that made it all kind of like oh wow you know he was like oh I'm, he was so humbled um and just said that you know his dad would have just loved to see a story like that and uh so that was a really great moment for me and and uh again appreciate everybody uh stopping in and reading it and and saying nice things about it that was very nice that is amazing that is the kind of stuff you're right that just lands and and you know we do it for other reasons but it it does make you take a step back and sort of put it in perspective when somebody says hey that really touched me moved me i learned from it i i got better you know reading it or learning it that stuff is amazing so huge kudos to you great story i'm glad that the reaction has been uh what i would call appropriate to that level of effort and uh yeah i can't wait for whatever you decide that you want to pour your heart into next because that one really came out well well um we'll save we'll save that announcement for another episode how's that that works perfectly fine for me nothing like a cliffhanger at the end of the episode so for now dig into this one uh we've got another one coming as jb said so hang tight enjoy and bear down <laughs> 